Beverly is still struggling with diverticulitis, so, uh, so this is the remnant here this morning. So, Welcome again to Grace Church. It's good to have you and to have you back. And um, we are continuing our sermon series, Journey to the Cross, during the season of Lent. It has been a gospel study of the, uh, of the book of Mark, which we have been on now for more than a year. And I promise you we will finish it. We will finish. We will be at the resurrection story on Easter Sunday. So how about that? So we're going to finish this entire study, which has been quite a journey. I hope that you have enjoyed it as much as I have enjoyed bringing it to you. So today's passage is from Mark chapter 15. We completed Mark 14 last Sunday, and now we're looking at Mark chapter 15, verses 1 through 15 is the portion that we're going to um, take a look at today. In my Bible, the section is entitled, Jesus before Pilate. Hear the word of God. Very early in the morning, the chief priest, the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. The chief priest accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked Jesus, aren't you going to answer, see how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people had requested. A man named Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists, who had committed murder in the uprising. The crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did. Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? asked Pilate. Knowing it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then with the one you call king of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, what crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder. Crucify him! Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged, and handed him over to be crucified. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Speak to us. Open our ears. Silence our lips. Still our bodies. Speak to us. In your holy name we pray it. Amen. Anybody here ever play the game rugby? Any rugby players? Anybody? Yeah? Oh my goodness, we have one. Anybody else? Rugby? Anybody seen a rugby match? Some of you have seen it, maybe on TV, right? Or maybe even in person or so. If you do, you probably know more about the game than I do. Okay, I'm not a big rugby fan. I don't really watch it much. But I, what I do understand is that the game originated in England in the 1800s. 
There are two teams of 15 people each that sort of compete to move an oval-shaped ball, right? Kind of like a big football, a little bit like that, across a, a goal line of a rectangular field called a pitch, if I'm not mistaken. Now, it's a little bit like American football, but the players really don't wear much of any pads or equipment. There's no helmets, not all the big NFL stuff, okay? And the rules are very different, right? The rules are actually really quite different. And yet the basic idea is to still move the ball kind of down the field to score, right? Now, opposing players can tackle, they can strip the ball, they can do whatever it takes to to get the ball away and then to kind of move it in the opposite direction. I mean, it looks to me like it's a free-for-all, like there's almost like no rules at all, right? Okay, it seems that the best strategy, as far as I can tell, may be to kind of move the ball quickly. In other words, you don't want to be caught with holding the ball for very long. Not, not too long. You, want, you, can, you can pass it, I understand, you can pass it laterally back to other teammates. You can kick it forward if you, if you can. Um, but you really don't want to get caught holding the ball for too long, or you're going to get, like, smeared, okay? All right, just, it's not going to be pretty, right? To me, it looks like kind of a violent sport. Better keep the ball moving. Hand it off, quick, whatever you can do. Today's passage unfolds a little bit like a rugby match. Only in this match... Jesus is the ball, which nobody wants to get caught holding. According to Mark chapter 15, verse 1, Jesus is handed over. Everybody's handing Jesus off. He's handed over to Pilate from the Sanhedrin and Jewish religious leaders. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate, says verse 1. The fact is reiterated in verse 10. Pilate knew it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. There it is again. In verse 15, Jesus is again handed over now to be crucified. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over, say it with me, handed him over to be crucified. And jumping ahead to verse 20, we see that now the Roman soldiers get in on the act and they led Jesus out to crucify him. You see, everybody is trying to get rid of Jesus. Nobody seems to want to hold on to him for very long. He's kind of like that rugby ball that nobody wants to get caught with. But why? Why is Jesus such a hot potato? Is he no good? Well, sadly, even today, many people want to kind of hand Jesus off. Many people are embarrassed to even say the name of Jesus, to be caught with him. Why? There are three scenes in this unfolding drama of Jesus before Pilate. Let's take it apart. I invite you, if you don't already have your Bibles open, we're going to kind of take it through here a verse at a time, um, and you might want to just refer to that as we go. There are three scenes to this drama of Jesus before Pilate. Scene one is called the interrogation. Say it with me. The interrogation. Verse 15 tells us, very early in the morning, the chief priest with elders, the teachers of the law, 
And the whole Sanhedrin reached a decision, not verse 15, excuse me, verse 1. They bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. The decision, as you recall from verse 64 of chapter 14, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, was the death penalty. Remember that? Okay. They believed Jesus was worthy of death. Why? For claiming to be God, for claiming to have the power to forgive sins. This was blasphemy in their view. But the problem was Roman law did not permit the Jewish courts to carry out the death penalty on their own. Only Romans could do that. Only Romans had the authority to execute someone. So the Jewish religious leaders would now have to convince the Roman governor of Judea, a man named Pontius Pilate. You heard of Pontius Pilate? Okay. He doesn't fly an airplane. Okay. All right. It just happens to be his name. All right. Pontius Pilate. They have to convince him that Jesus is worthy of death. In verse 16, Pilate doesn't waste any time. He immediately asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? The interrogation begins. And Jesus replies, yes, it is as you say. Pilate's concerns are different than those of the Jews. Pilate wants to know if Jesus is a threat to Caesar's authority, to the, to the Roman state. That's, that's Pilate's main concern. But Jesus' answer is, is a bit ambiguous. Yeah, as you say, I mean, you, you said it. On the surface, the charge is false. Jesus is not pretending to be the earthly ruler of the Jews in Rome. But yes, the charge is true. Jesus is indeed the king of the Jews. Jesus, in fact, is the king of everyone, including Pilate and Caesar and you and me. Amen? Amen. He is. But Jesus' answer leaves some room for interpretation. Who is Jesus really? Mark has a clever way when he writes his gospel of leaving some of these questions kind of open-ended for the reader, for you and me. It is as if Mark is saying, who do you say that Jesus is? Remember, Jesus said that with his disciples. He was, he was teaching his disciples, and they were together one day, and, and he asked them, uh, who do the people say that I am? Oh, John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus turns the question on them, and he says, but who do you say that I am? It's a question that each of us must answer in our heart of hearts. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? Have you made a decision about Jesus? The Jews made up their mind about Jesus. He's no good. We've got to eliminate him. Pilate is forming his answer, his impression. What about you? Who do you say that Jesus is? Was he a lunatic, as some say? Was he a liar? Was he just a legend, a great spiritual man, but he kind of fades away? Or was he who he said he was, Lord and King? 
The scene continues. The chief priest accused Jesus of many things. The verdict of blasphemy reached by the Jewish Sanhedrin meant nothing to Pilate. Romans believed in many gods. What's one more? What's one more king? The Jews would now have to accuse Jesus of crimes worthy of death by Roman standards, by Roman law. So they make up all new accusations. And these likely included tax evasion, okay, encouraging the people to, you know, not to pay taxes to Caesar, even though that's not what Jesus said, right? He didn't say that. Or maybe treason, because he claimed that he was king, king of the Jews, and there's only one king, and that's Caesar, right? So, or maybe terrorism for causing riots out in the countryside in all these small little hick towns where Jesus would visit and perform miracles and people kind of went crazy and the Romans did not like that. We're losing crowd control here. These were likely the crimes that they charged Jesus with. All of these crimes were worthy of death by Roman law and the Jewish leaders are now making their case against Jesus So in verse 4, Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of here, Jesus? All of these things, aren't you going to answer? But Jesus remains silent. Verse 5 says, Pilate was amazed. Say it with me. Pilate was amazed. Something is happening in the heart of Pilate. Something's going on here. He's wondering. He's marveling. You get the sense that he's starting to feel some compassion toward this Jesus. It's as if Jesus' silence was speaking louder than words. Isaiah 53, verse 7, a messianic prophecy about the coming Christ. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to slaughter as a sheep before her shears is silent. So he did not open his mouth. A prophecy some 800 years or so before Jesus. The quiet, humble presence of Jesus alone before his accusers is speaking volumes. It's as if Jesus were saying to Pilate, look, you want the truth? You got questions for me? You want the truth? You're looking at the truth. You're looking at it. And Pilate, in his own heart, is beginning to wonder, who is this Jesus? A question we all have to answer and wrestle with. Pilate is taking it all in. He is making his own judgment regarding Jesus. The interrogation is now over. On to the next scene, scene two, the condemnation. Just say it with me, the condemnation. Verse 6 says, Now it was the custom at the feast to release a prisoner whom the people requested. Pilate is sympathetic to Jesus. 
Pilate is really looking for a way to get Jesus off the hook. Pilate finds no guilt in Jesus, maybe delusions, but no guilt. He's hoping the crowd will release Jesus when given the choice of releasing him or the notorious murderer Barabbas, whom everybody knows is a criminal. Verse 7, a man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising. Now, these uprisings, these mini uprisings, these mini revolts against Rome were actually quite common in that day. And Barnabas had apparently been a part of at least one of them. He may have been a member of the Zealots, a revolutionary Jewish group that wanted to overthrow Roman occupation by force, by, by might. And Barabbas is described as a murderer, a criminal. Make no mistake about it. He is a murderer. He is a criminal. In verse 8, the crowd came up and asked Pilate to do for them what he usually did, that is to release one of the prisoners. In verse 9, Pilate asked, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? There's really nothing wrong. No, he seems innocent to me. And Pilate is trying to advocate for Jesus. Pilate knew it was out of envy that the chief priest had handed Jesus over to him. They were just jealous. Jesus had a following, bigger following than they did. Everybody's trying to get rid of Jesus. But verse 11 tells us the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead of Jesus. What shall I do then with the one you call the king of the Jews, Pilate asked. Crucify him, they shouted. Why, asked Pilate, what crime has he committed? But the crowd only shouted all the louder, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. Pilate sort of caves in here to the pressure of this angry mob. He has Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified, says verse 15. Crucifixion was a torturous method of death reserved for the most hardened of criminals. Romans did it publicly to intimidate others into submitting to their Roman authority. Pilate believes Jesus is innocent, but because he wants to please the crowd, he sentences Jesus to death by crucifixion. Pilate concedes to the angry mob. Pilate appeases the crowd but defies his own conscience. The Jews are happy because Jesus will be crucified by the Romans, making them look sort of innocent. Oh, we didn't, we didn't crucify him. No, the Romans did that, remember? Pilate saves himself by eliminating an uprising on his watch. Hopefully Caesar would still let him serve as governor. And the crowd gets their way, and Jesus is sentenced to death. No one takes responsibility. Everyone is culpable. Everyone. An angry mob rules. Injustice prevails. Jesus will be eliminated. Barabbas goes free. Scene one, the interrogation. Scene two, the condemnation. Scene three, the substitution. Say it with me. The substitution. 
This one is kind of the big picture of all of what is happening, all of what we've just went through. What's happening here? What's going on in this unfolding drama? Looking a bit deeper here, an innocent man is sentenced to death, Jesus. A notorious murderer is set free, Barabbas. The man who committed no crime will be hung out to die. The convicted criminal is released from prison. Peter, the Apostle Peter, put it this way in his sermon when he was speaking to a a Jerusalem crowd after Jesus' resurrection in Acts chapter 3. They were being quizzed about a healing. And Peter says, know this, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though Pilate had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. Peter is saying, you chose a convicted killer over Jesus. Whoops. Whoops. We got it wrong. Mark 15 depicts this miscarriage of justice in a way that highlights the supreme truth about Jesus. Though sinless, Jesus dies. So that because of Jesus, sinners may live. Do you see what's going on? Do you see what's going on here? Do you get it? We are Barabbas. Yeah, he was a literal figure in time, but metaphorically speaking, We are Barabbas. You and I are Barabbas. We are the sinner, the condemned, the guilty. We are the murderer, the imprisoned. It should have been you. It should have been me on that cross. We are the ones who deserve to die, but Jesus steps in and takes our place. Jesus suffers our death penalty so that we could be set free. That's the metaphor of this whole exchange. Jesus silently, willfully, humbly takes the punishment that was due to us so that those who believe in Him may live. Paul puts it this way in Romans 5. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, say it with me, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Say it with me. Christ died for us. John says there is no greater love than this, that one would lay down his life for another. And that's exactly what Jesus did for you. I call it the great exchange. We had an Easter drama some years ago that highlighted Barabbas. And guess who played Barabbas? I'm the resident Barabbas, the rebel rouser, the troublemaker here at Grace Church, just in case you don't already know that. All right? I wear my, what I call Barabbas green. We have it coined. I have a special costume for Barabbas. And we love, we love Barabbas, okay? Well, some people do. 
Okay, nobody does. Nobody likes Barabbas. All right, okay, I get it. All right. But it's the great exchange. Jesus dies even in Barabbas' place. Barabbas symbolizes you and me. We should have died. It's the great exchange. Jesus took your sin upon himself and he gave you his righteousness. Amen? Amen. Jesus took your shame and gave you forgiveness. Jesus took your guilt, guilty as charged, and replaced it with justification by faith in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Jesus took your prison and gave you a get-out-of-jail-free card. And Jesus took your death sentence and gave you eternal life. I think that's the heart of this passage. I think that's the heart of the good news. And it's right here. That great exchange, sin for righteousness, shame for forgiveness, guilt for justification, prison for freedom, death for life, that's a pretty good trade where I come from. How many of you think you get a good bargain through Jesus? Amen. That's a great bargain. Your sins laid on Jesus, His righteousness laid on you in return through the blood of Jesus and by your faith, when God looks upon you now, it is as if you had never sinned. That you had never sinned. And like Barabbas, you, we, have been set free now to live forever. And here's how John puts it. Jesus said in John 8, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You will be free indeed. Good news. Everybody else may be handing Jesus off. Everybody else may be trying to get rid of Him. But we cling to Him. We hold on to Jesus, do we not? God has use for Jesus and so do we. The Jewish religious leaders didn't want Jesus. The Sanhedrin didn't want Jesus. Pilate didn't want to deal with Jesus. Herod didn't want Jesus. The angry mob had no use for Jesus. Everybody's trying to pass Jesus off, get rid of him, kind of like that rugby ball nobody wants to hold on to for very long, lest you get tackled and hit and beat up and bruised. Better avoid Jesus like the plague. Everyone's trying to get rid of him. Even today, many people don't want anything to do with Jesus. People still reject him, deny him, betray him, and shun him. For some, he's just a curse word. And for others, the cross, just a piece of jewelry. But not for us. Not for us. Not for Grace Church. We love Jesus. We embrace him. We cling to that old rugged cross. We find life through Jesus Christ. He is our Savior, our Lord, our friend, our God. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? We just sang it. He is our life and our power, our joy, our peace, our forgiveness. He paid the price for our sins so that we could be set free. I don't know about you, but I love Jesus and I will forever be indebted to Him. Only let me live my life for Him without distraction. Because Jesus says, 
even in John's gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not die, but have everlasting life. Jesus says in John 10, 10, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come, says Jesus, so that you may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the And no one comes to the Father but through me. The only question that remains then is what have you done with Jesus? Have you come to Jesus yet? Have you received him as your personal Savior and Lord? Have you received that great exchange, giving your sins, your shame, and your guilt, laying it at the foot of the cross and receiving Jesus, his life and forgiveness into you? Yeah, don't worry about what other people are doing with Jesus. They may not like him. Don't worry about that. You make your decision and make it today if you haven't already. Respond to him in your way. Will you embrace Jesus or despise him? Will you receive him or hand him off? Will you believe in him or deny him? Will you love Jesus with your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength? Will you say yes to Jesus? And if you haven't, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Paul says today is the day of salvation. Now is the time of God's favor. Friends, we love to put things off. This is one thing you don't want to put off. Because we never know about tomorrow. We never know about tomorrow. Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords, whether it's the first time or the 100th time, may we receive him and embrace him today. Would you do that? Would you make a commitment today before the sun goes down that you will receive Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Let's pray. Father, come. Forgive us, Lord, when we seem to want nothing to do with Jesus. When we want to hand him off and hand him over just like the Jewish religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, even Pilate. No, Lord, we embrace Jesus because he is our life. He made a great exchange, taking upon himself our sin and shame, our guilt and our death, so that we, like Barabbas, could be set free. So, Lord, come. Help us, O oh God to live for Jesus, to love for Jesus, and to lead for Jesus. May it be so. May it be true of us, even Grace Church. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you please rise?